0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Movies Across the Pod. It's episode 15, it's an important one. It is for me anyway because we're going to be coming back strong and we're going to be talking about an iconic movie, a cult classic and a personal favourite of mine. The movie we'll get into in just a moment, but I can't chat without my co-host, my counterpart, my partner in crime as it were. Although, let's face it, podcasting isn't a crime as far as I know, so we're going to get away with that. Let's get him on, folks. Of course, it is the mighty Frank Mendoza. How are you? Hey, hey, how you going? Good, good. I'm glad to be back. We've had a little break for a while, but we're back. And as I kind of excitedly brought into the episode, it is about a movie that I love. It's a personal favorite of mine. And it is, of course, 1982's Disney classic classic in brackets, by the way, Tron. Bum, bum, bum
1: which is currently streaming on Disney Plus, which is how I watched it to prepare for this.
0: Yes, it's a great movie, arguably outdated, arguably not very popular with a lot of people, but it certainly is for me. And it's why I pitched it on our last episode because I knew you'd not seen it, Frank. So it's going to be a fun journey. And this will be part of a two-parter because we will be coming back on our next episode. Just to give you a heads up, everyone, with the sequel, Tron Legacy, but that's for a later date. Right now, it's about Tron and the amazingness that you get when you watch it. Initially, Frank, I expect you were a bit sceptical about this movie. Well, I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Don't. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I had
1: never seen it before, of course. That's the premise of the show. I had never seen it. So I was a bit, yeah, I I will say I was sceptical. Number one, because I figured that it was going to be something that would look dated. Not that I ever fault a film for looking dated. I mean, you can't fault a film for looking as updated as it can the year that it came out. But I wasn't sure what I would think of it because I remember being a kid and I remember everybody in my class talking about it. They had HBO. That's probably how they saw it. Everybody was talking about how cool it was. And, you know, they they would mention it in the same breath as Clash of the Titans and Raiders of the Lost Ark and all these different early to mid eighties kind of adventure flicks. So I finally watched it now for this and yeah, I got some notes. I got a lot to say about it, but I will say that I'm glad that I saw it because it was almost like, I felt like I was missing out on something that was such a, such an integral part of the generation.
0: Yeah, I can I can get that. It's, um, it's definitely a film that I would say you have to see at least once to kind of appreciate what it's all about. Even if you don't become a fan of the movie or the franchise, I think by seeing it, you kind of get an understanding of why it has such a cult status. Now, admittedly it did, or it didn't, I should say, do that well in the box office. It was due to home viewing and fan culture, which kind of boosted its popularity. As a lot of in brackets, flops do in the movies. They tend to be carried on as cult icons. And, you know, the the merchandising, the collectability of the movie and, and the toys and so on made it popular with everyone, hence the sequel. But um Yeah, this movie, it gives a lot of us nerds the opportunity to get a perspective of what it's like to go inside a computer and interact with things that go on inside. You know, we take for granted things like computers, laptops, tablets, phones, and so on. But it's the inner workings, what goes on inside. And imagine what it would be like if you were transported inside and became essentially a piece of data that has to move its way around a computer. Who hasn't thought about what it would be like fascinating idea.
1: Well, that's one thing that I wanted to be sure to point out. There was a line of dialogue in the film that was eerily prophetic. Computers and programs will start thinking and people will stop.
0: Oh, my God. It sounds like the intro to one of the Terminator movies, doesn't it? Oh, is it a prelude to Terminator? Oh, oh no, no, oh no. God. This is
1: from Tron.
0: No, no, it just it gives me the vibes of all those kind of... You know, the, the machines are going to overthrow the humans and take over. I'm thinking,
1: oh, oh, yeah. oh I thought you were saying that you thought it was from a different film. Now, this this is from this is from Tron, but I didn't write down which character who, who said it, computers and programs will start thinking and people will stop. And I just thought that was so eerily prophetic. What the world is, I'm sorry, what the world no. is dealing with right now is, at least in the academic world where I work, this little thing that you may have heard of called ChatGBT,
0: Yes, it's taken the world by storm, it would seem. And it's pretty frightening,
1: (laughs) not just because it's an easy way for some people to have something written for them when they're supposed to be writing it themselves. I'm not just talking about from the perspective of an English teacher. I mean, I know of a few colleges, universities who have found that some students, some applicants have used it to write their college essays for them. Wow. So that denied ambition. And I've heard it being used in the, I've heard of stories of it being used in the business world, people passing stuff off as their own ideas. And it's just, and the thing of it is, is that ChatGBT is like the Wikipedia of writing, meaning the quality is bad. It's not, I mean, spelling, grammar, factual errors, things like that. The point of, I mean, we're going down a road here, but. (laughs) (laughs) If I'll hit the brakes and I'll do a bang, a Yui, as we say here in Boston. But that quote just stood out to me as computers and programs will start thinking and people will stop. And that was back in 1982 when someone wrote that line of dialogue. And here we are now in 2023. And it just (laughs) it has just a, a whole new meaning from what it probably was originally intended to to convey.
0: It's it's just a crazy idea. I mean, it's kind of like a a fortune telling kind of prediction, much like you get on various episodes of The Simpsons where they predict things like Donald Trump becoming the president and so on. This is like a a precursor to AI is coming. It's going to take over. People are not going to rely on their own brains anymore. They're going to rely on technology to do things for them and take it for granted. I think that's why this movie kind of sits so well with me. The the idea that a machine wants to take over and brings a human into its world to interact with and try to manipulate and live by the rules of a computer system. But it's just, again, it's a, it's an iconic kind of cult status movie that I, I've grown up with most of my life and love so much. But for those of you who haven't seen the movie, much like Frank, let's set the scene. Tron came out in nineteen 1992. 1992, I've just said. 1982, my apologies, everybody. Directed by Steven Lisberger. Now, it's all very visually. I don't want to say the wrong phrase here, but it is visually outdated by today's standards. However, the techniques and the movie-making tools they used back then were, you know, they were groundbreaking, the stuff that they were using to produce these images were setting benchmarks of their own kind. So visually at the time, stunning, a pleasure to watch. And like I say, paved the way for certain movie-making uh, technology to further their visual advancements as it were but it's all centered around a programmer by the name of kevin flynn played by jeff bridges the iconic jeff bridges of course as a sideline though i was always a bit confused why a movie called tron which has a character called tron and is set in tron's universe is all really about kevin flynn the human it's it's interesting (laughs) how they use this name for an iconic character which we'll get to but it's really about the human aspect and how we deal with being thrust into a world we have no control over when, in our world, we were the dominant controller. You know, we're all pressing keys on a keyboard and it, the computer does what we tell it to do. But if the computer pulls us into it and wants us to do things for him, or it, I should say, it just comes across as a completely different way of living. It's, it's interesting to think that data in a, in a machine can be sentient and can want to expand and live its own life kind of thing. And I think that's why it pulled me in being a bit of a nerdy boffin type. I've always wondered what it'd be like to be, you know, having light battles and racing rounds on on cycles that are made of energy and so on. It's just, it's a fascinating prospect. And and um, again, visually, it was great for me. But it's what happens when Flynn gets thrust into this world. He's a computer programmer that's trying to fight for the rights for a video game that he's created. And a kind of corrupt business-like company has stolen the rights of this game and become a thriving company while he's been thrust to the sidelines and works in an arcade, an iconic arcade, I might add, whilst trying to hack into these big computers and, and fight for his his rights back. It's very business versus nerds versus the computer world. There's a lot of aspects to take from it, but a lot a lot to kind of understand, I suppose. As, as a character, Frank, Flynn, how did he come across
1: to you? He came across to me as the archetypal scrappy underdog. Yeah. Like you just said, taking on big business. Here he is, doesn't have a chance in the world, certainly at a disadvantage in his situation, has a hell of an arcade, I'll say that. And it was very, <laughs> <laughs> it was very 80s. I loved it. You know, you, all the, even during the opening credits, before they even dissolve into the arcade, you have the dots and the grids, and then you have the opening shot of the arcade. Even though I've never seen this, it felt very comfortably familiar. Yeah, it felt like an Atari game it felt like oh yeah I remember that kind of sound effect I remember that that kind of that kind of graphic that's just cheesy as all hell but still very endearing but as, uh, getting back to your question though as far as the character is concerned, yeah, I would say that his being the how can I put it he didn't seem to have a chance in the world in trying to take on the man quote unquote and of course, you know. It's not very much of a spoiler to say how it all turns out, but I like Jeff Bridges.
0: So he kept my interest throughout the whole thing. I mean, we're mm-hmm. talking the Blabowski here, yes, so the man is a legend. Literally every film he's been in. R I P D aside, of course, I've loved. And um, you know, he's just a he's just a great character. The the initial openings of the film, we have that kind of very kind of eighties war game style font. Just showing Walt Disney pictures. And then you get that kind of atmospheric keyboard music playing, and a silhouette appears of a, a male figure, which we later found out to be the character known as Tron. And that kind of epic kind of blast of music and light. And then, like you say, we're thrust into dots and grids and we're going inside a computer generated world. It's, the whole uh, thing had a
1: very Epcot Center kind of vibe to it.
0: Yes. Which,
1: incidentally, 80s I, era Epcot Center.
0: Yeah, I have a little kind of comment about the Epcot center, which we'll come on to later on during a little factoid section. Um, uh, okay. It kind of ties in nicely, that well done. Stay tuned, folks, stay tuned, stay tuned. But yeah, we see a character in a a tank, a light tank, you know, like you would see in like an Atari game. And at the helm, it looks like Jeff Bridges. It's not Jeff Bridges, it's a computer generated character called um Clue which is the program that Flynn is using in the computer to try and search for this information he's after. So from our perspective, he's a character in a tank of some sort driving through these data traffic ways or roadways to search for the information he needs whilst being attacked by ships and various things in the computer world. So it's just data streaming across the screen, but inside it's battles, it's things being shot at. And it's interesting how straight away we're seeing what Jeff Bridges will look like inside a computer in this really crazy-looking suit that's got glowing parts all over it, and he's got, like, an upturned ball on his head and stuff. It was a weird, strange-looking costume, but it it was cool, in my opinion, how it looked. Lots of LED lights and neon and so on. I have a question about that, actually. Go on.
1: Is it just me? I don't know if I'm the only one. Did it remind you at all of Avatar, meaning you have the human version played by the actor, then you have the simulated version, which is... Still played by the actor, but, you know, you have the computer graphics taking over.
0: I can, I'm, not I can that the, the I'm not saying the stories are similar now, but just the I, concept. I, I, get, I get how you would get that kind of um, comparison. Yeah, it's an interesting one. You know, you, you have a virtual version of yourself and a real version, and it's it only stands to reason that if you're programming something, it would have your likeness on screen, like a lot of games do. You make an avatar, you try and make it look like yourself. Most people do. If I'm playing on a video game and you get a chance to create a character, I tend to make it look like myself. And then it, it's me, even in the not game. just and Ava- Beyond Avatar, even um, Ready Player One. Yes, great, great, uh, great film, great episode.
1: So, no cheeky little plug for uh, episode thirteen. Yeah,
0: that was that was a fun episode, by the way. Yeah, go back and rediscover it if you haven't um, listened to it already. It's a fun vibe we give off. Well, I like to think so, anyway. But yeah, it it's why they use the actors. In the you know the virtual world in the in the computer world that they would use the same likeness as they appear in the real world. For example, David Warner, who's been in many films, including Time Bandits, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Two. I don't know why I mentioned it. Um, of course, Tron, and he plays the corrupt kind of businessman Ned Dillinger, as well as the in computer bad guy Sark, who's clad in this god awful red and grey kind of suit with a weird looking helmet. It's kind of it's like a weird. I don't know, he's like an, like an anti-Sith lord or something. I don't know, he's just a weird, evil character. And um, he's being controlled by the the Master Control, which is this big beam of light with a face on it that controls different. computer, that just wants to take over. It wants to spread its knowledge out of a confined computer space and take over the world. I think there was a mention when he was hacking into the Pentagon and military sites and so on. So this computer's becoming self-aware, it wants to do more. It's the AI thing coming back again. Like I've said earlier, it's like a Terminator vibe coming from it. Computer wants to expand and doesn't want to be controlled by humans. So it's using Dillinger as a a tool, as a pawn in its own game to try and take over things. And it was good to see that when Dillinger would come into his office and he would log in and talk to this computer, he was just taking nothing but, you know, demands and orders from the computer. When you think I could literally switch you off at the mains now and you'd be gone. But no, this computer saying you will do this for me, you will do that for me, and I just found it interesting that this guy was really controlled by a, a computer,
1: almost like 2001: A Space Odyssey when Hal was saying, "This is highly irregular."
0: So many ways they comparison. spoofed
1: that in Airplane to the sequel when they parodied that <laughs> with Peter Graves.
0: <laughs> oh, Airplane! <laughs> oh, you gotta I gotta to work on the references wherever I can. <laughs> I love it. I was just going to say we, we've got to get into a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but it's not important right now. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Viva Leigh, Leslie Nielsen. Yes. Yes. What an absolute comedy legend. Um, oh, God. Yeah. This is one of those tangent moments, folks. We, we like to just talk about other things whilst we're trying to get to the, uh, the meat of the uh, the episode.
1: That's what makes us fun and cute. <laughs>
0: So getting back to Tron if we can. So yeah, this whole build up is, is Flint trying to hack into the Encom company computers to try and find the rights for his video game that they stole so he can you know, prove that he's the original game owner, a game called Space Paranoids, which is this big cult iconic video game set in this world. And by finding the fact that it was stolen from him, he can then fight to have the rights back and take over the company and, and be the man he wants to be originally. So this is essentially a man trying to fight for his, his the proof that he he made something in this world and he wants it back. But it's all done through this computer world. And as I said earlier, this this evil master control, this computer program is taunting Flynn while she's trying to get this software back and using a laser that this particular company has been developing to digitize real objects and make them digital into a the world. They test it on an Apple they shoot this apple. It looks a bit like the gun used in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That big telescopic kind right. of laser. Again, vibes from another movie. But they they use it while they're testing some scientists and they digitize this apple. So they make it into a, a computerized version of itself and then they put it back together again. And it's this laser telescopic gadget that the computer uses on Flynn whilst they're having a conversation. And suddenly we're given this big psychedelic light show as friends being digitized and beamed into the computer where he then reappears in this you know spandex and lycra and a bowl on his head in flashing blue and he's suddenly <laughs> a computerized version of himself and can't quite it's a bit like, like waking up in oz i guess it's a strange scenario you're in a strange world you, you you know it yourself but things look different and you can't quite understand it's um it's like dorothy gal on spandex there you go. You know, Spandex is a very important um, piece of material in the 80s. Most of the fitness videos used it, so why not run as well? <laughs> why not? So we're, we're, we're sucked into this world. We've got Flynn trying to understand where he is, and he's basically trying to fight his way out. He gets, I want to say, arrested. I guess arrested because he's, he's kind of an unknown in this computer world. Where he's taken to a holding cell, and he meets other programs, all in human form. So for our perspective, I suppose, as a viewer, they've made these computer programs of various types look like humans, and they're all interacting in a human way in arenas, and they're fighting for survival. I think some of the costume choices were a bit questionable. Most of the, the bad kind of soldier guys, all the reds, with these big, huge, big shoulder pads, but they're wearing tights underneath It's It doesn't quite look that menacing. But um, they're, they're, well, they're, kind, they're kind of like Imperial Guards, I guess, from Star Wars, if you squint if you
1: squint your eyes and have a good imagination but yeah. i do want to put this out on the table you've seen the original dune the 1984 dune i assume right yes sting red briefs enough oh, said oh wh-
0: why why would you plant that back in there why
1: oh because i want to show everybody that it's not just tron that had questionable costume <laughs> choices
0: here <laughs> there's a lot of you know costume issues in a lot mm-hmm. of movies but this this one, there, there we have saying with his wee willy winky, and it's like, okay, let's uh,
1: let's go back to the <laughs> to the sands creature, whatever <laughs> it was
0: called. Oh my god, <laughs> it's interesting. We, we're now taken into a world where Flynn has been digitized, and he's literally the same guy. While everyone's kind of got. As a computer game, I should say, a computer character, they have this kind of very certain way of talking and explaining the whole scenario. Why are we here? What are we doing? What are we supposed to be getting from this? Blaine's just kind of like, like the dude, like, "Hey man, what's what? What is all this? What am I doing here? I don't understand what's happening." I think there was an exchange when one of the soldiers were like trying to get him into a cell, and he says, "You know, get in the cell, program." And he says, "Who you calling program? Program?" Like it's some kind of really bad insult, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe in a computer, it, you know, to be called a program, isn't it? but that's what they mistook him for. That's why they ha- kept him in a holding cell where they would play in these games. And the whole premise was that Sark, the the villain in the computer, was under orders not to kill Flynn. They, he had to use him in the in the games, let him get his hopes up, and then destroy him. So he was used as a as a toy, basically, for the MC computer to to mess with and teach him a lesson, kind of thing. But Flynn won't go down without a fight, and all because. He's a certain program, a certain program who fights for the users, by the name of Tron,
1: the legend. Well, you're referring to Tron as a security program, and yeah, it monitors and all the contacts between our system and other systems. Is that right? Did I get that right? At That's least? right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They. Yeah, okay. program where programmer Alan wants to use it to infiltrate the master control and you know stop it from expanding and so on. And when it finds anything going on that's not
1: scheduled. And if it does, it automatically shuts it down. Yes. It runs independently from Master Control program, yes. right?
0: Yes. It's, it's a separate program. It becomes the hero of the piece, hence the name Tron. It's all about the strong character who wants to fight and rid the world of the of the Master Control. Played, of course, by Bruce uh, Box, Box Light. I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Box Lightner? Box Lightner? I never get it right. Box That's Light- the I've always pronounced it. So... Bo- Box Lightner. Yes he who obviously went on into more sci-fi routes and was in Babylon five years later but um but yeah, playing Tron and Alan respectively in a really good way and how Flynn kind of bonds with Tron and, and helps him to expand his understanding of of the grid and the world of a computer, even introducing him to his first kiss which was interesting you know computer programs can kiss each other who knew it was a thing who knew it was a thing but yeah. Tron's just this epic combatant who uses a disc that's on his back, which has all of his information, as a frisbee, as a defensive weapon shooting out beams of light from this frisbee, which is uh, more lethal than it sounds, folks, let's face it. You you know, you've been hit with a frisbee as, as a child or as a youngster on a field, and it does hurt. It reminds me, why do frisbees get larger the closer they get to you? And then it hit me. Oh I'm, sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everybody. Oh, it wasn't even my joke. I stole it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's kind of like gladiator-style battles where there's an arena and they're using these weapons to throw at each other. Pieces of the floor can be dis- can be taken away at any time by Sark, and you can fall to your death in the grid. And um, we see we see Tron doing his best to destroy a lot of bad guys, and he's really good at it. Yeah, Tron becomes this hero who wants to get his uh, information disk to the main tower and transmit a signal so that Alan can send him a program to throw into the master control and destroy it. And it's their journey to fight through all these bad guys to get to the end result and and save everyone, which, you know, seems like an epic thing to do. But we we get to explain things like light cycle battles, which, from our our view in the real world, is just a simple arcade game, a bit like Snake was on our Nokia. Just the lines going up and down and you couldn't cross over the line. It's that, but just with a little bike in front of it. And you get to see an epic scene where they do race around on bikes, which I'm sure we'll discuss in a moment. But um, yeah, lots of visuals, lots of interesting characters and really nicely kind of painted scenery, which we perceive as digital areas. It's quite a lot to take in and quite a lot goes on. A really good feast for your eyes. Did it mess with your head too much, Frank?
1: It didn't mess with my head, no, in terms of overstimulation, the way it easily could have. It messed with my head with confusion, Mm. not just confusion over the storyline, but personal confusion. Yeah. How could this movie, I'm saying to myself as I'm watching it, make me feel so nostalgic if it's a movie I'm seeing for the first time? It's the vibe it gives, isn't it? It's the 80s vibe. It's definitely an 80s vibe that it gives off. 100%. 1000%. That's a good thing.
0: The Arcadia, Flint Arcade. You know, we've all had a lot of our childhoods going to arcades, not too dissimilar from that one, and spending a lot of our pocket change playing all these video games and queuing up and trying to get the high score and so on. The nostalgia, like you say, it really just brings back a good time of my of my childhood and just the excitement of being a, a little kid who's a nerd and wants to play games and just see crazy characters and things on screen. Brilliant. And the thing of it
1: is, is as a kid, I never had an
0: Atari I think I mentioned that already, but I would if I wanted to play
1: an Atari game, I would have to go over a friend's house. Yeah. And fourth, fifth grade, I had no friends. So sort of up that very special creek without a paddle, I had no way of <laughs> playing Atari. So <laughs> so I do remember that my family got a very basic early model of a of a computer of a computer game system. It was not an Atari. It was called Vic 20. V-I-C hyphen two zero. Okay. I have no idea to this day what exactly it was. I will say it was a piece of shite because (laughs) it stopped working. (laughs) It stopped working maybe after the fifth or sixth time we played a game. Nice. The VIC-20 was to the Atari just as the beta was to the VHS.
0: Wow.
1: Never had the pleasure of having an Atari, so I don't have those... I don't have those childhood memories, you know, of of playing Donkey Kong or Pac Man or Space Invaders or Asteroids or any of those games without playing them like at a bowling alley. They would have the freestanding arcade games at the bowling alley, or the, or I never really went to any arcades because there weren't too many really where I was growing up. But the bowling alley was where you would find like the the Ms. Pac Man and the you know just the latest the you know the, the latest game. So yeah, yeah, I guess you could. So yeah, so it was making me. It was confusing me, getting back to my original point, because I'm watching this movie and I'm being drenched with nostalgia for things that I never actually did, (laughs) (laughs) which was the most mind, that was, that for me was
0: mind-bending. I think that's a really good testament to how it was made. If it can cause that kind of reaction to yourself who's not seen it, it shows how good a movie it is. It's almost a shame that it didn't do as well as it should have done in the box office, but... It does appeal to a specific market and a specific viewer. It's not for everyone. Yes, it's a it's a Disney movie. Yes, it's it's fun for all the family, but if you're not interested in video games or the computer world, it's gonna be a specific genre of people that will see it. So I guess that's why it wasn't as well received as it could have been. Because it's it's a very specific genre that it, it kind of appeals to a specific, a specific demographic as well. Two points I want to make
1: about that. First of all, if I had to pick out a favorite sequence, it would be at roughly the halfway point through the film. Okay. The catch, the catch sequence on the grid. Yes. Ooh. That those, was cool. Those that was are really me. cool. Yeah, no, that was definitely pretty cool. The second thing I wanted to mention was the fact that earlier today I was getting a haircut and I was talking to my Bob, It's the same guy I go to. And he said, so what are you doing tonight? And I was telling him, oh, I have the house to myself and Friend of mine out in Liverpool. We're recording another episode of our podcast, and he said, "Oh, what is it?" And so I'm telling him movie podcasts. i so telling him the premise, blah blah blah. Long story short, he said to me, "So, what movie did he ask, did he assign you for uh, for tonight's recording?" And I said, "The original Tron, the early '80s Tron." He stops cutting. He steps back and he looks at me and he says, "Oh, apparently he was not a fan."
0: Yeah, I, I can understand. <laughs> he was
1: so. you're saying that it's you know a niche demographic you know a target audience he said yeah he said i was never really into those arcade games he said i was i heard of them so i know them but i don't remember actually seeing them i'm sure i might have seen clips of it over the years he was referring to movies like uh the never-ending story and all the other early 80s you know those movies of in the similar vein and he was saying yeah he says no tron wasn't very uh that just wasn't one that was part of my childhood, and I said to him, "Well, I never saw any of this, <laughs> so you, and, <laughs> so you can, uh, you can be my uh, my backup, yeah, my reinforcement." So he said to me, he said to me that he and a friend of his that the two of them are always uh, quoting movies to each other. So I took a mental
0: note just in case if we ever want to have a guest on, we can <laughs> have my barber on the show. <laughs> hey, why not? We're always open for guest possibilities. If you are listening, by the way, and you want to come on the show. Reach out. We'll give you all the socials later on. And by all means, get in touch. You never know. You could be a future guest on a future episode. So yeah, get in touch when you can.
1: Word of advice. If you're going to be a guest on the show, please do a better job than I did. Because when I was watching Tron and taking notes, I couldn't read my own handwriting. <laughs> I know that their names, <laughs> the characters' names in the film, I know now. Crom and Ram. That's Is two that of them, yeah. That's
0: two of them, yeah.
1: Okay, so I was reading it as cram and ram,
0: <laughs> and that's I was thinking to it. myself,
1: that sounds like a couple of co-stars in a adult film. That I don't think that's exactly what their characters' names were, Fram and ra- so Crom and Ram. So take good notes, so that way
0: you don't sound like an idiot like I, I just did. <laughs> good advice and gratefully received. So this movie, it's it's kind of it took us on a journey in and out of a computer. We get to see perspective as human world we get to see what it's like to be in a computer and how our control of said world has been taken and we're having to live by the rules of a new world and what it would take for us to fight our way back i enjoyed this movie a lot i still do enjoy this movie yes it can be considered as an outdated movie based on the standards that you've seen in modern making film but i think because i grew up with it with a video game kind of standpoint It always has a soft spot and a a soft spot, a soft spot and a good place in my heart for this movie. Again, I can appreciate people aren't fans of it. It's not for everyone. But for those of you who do like sci fi and do like kind of geeking out, I think it's a really good reference point for anyone to kind of start their Tron journey. It's not necessarily a movie you have to see to understand the, the lore and the history about it, but I think it's a great movie to enjoy. So, should that bring us then into the film ratings? I think so. What about? megabytes how many megabytes out of five will you give tron and as you were the the newcomer to this particular movie frank you get to be the first one who chooses or rates it as it were well thank you very much
1: okay so there were some really cool things about this film that i enjoyed i think that if if i had to narrow it down to two the two biggest strengths of the film for me were jeff bridges who is always he's just a very charismatic he's very magnetic. Uh, I'm all. I'm always, whenever he appears on screen in pretty much anything I've ever seen him in, he mm-hmm. commands the screen. And that worked out really well for this film as well, because he was the leading actor. So you have a charismatic lead, and that's what you need if you want to have a story that you're going to get excited about, that yeah. you're going to get emotionally invested in. So Jeff Bridges, strong point number one. Strong point number two, like I said previously, that cache sequence about halfway through the film, I sat up and I said, Oh, okay, this is, you felt the momentum picking up. You felt the adrenaline rush. It, it was just, it, it brought me back to a video game system I never actually owned. It brought me back to these games that I never played on a daily basis, but it brought me back to just, like you said, a very 80s vibe, which I always appreciate. As far as any drawbacks from the film, I had a difficult time following along with the story. I don't know if I don't know if I was just overthinking it, and there wasn't just too much story to to have to keep track of. Yeah. Um, so there was that, and I do think that the 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 pacing was a little was a little inconsistent. But on a scale from one to five megabytes, I think I will give Tron. I think I'll give it two and a half out of five.
0: Okay, I think that's fair. That's a fair, a fair. That's another fifty out of.
1: 50 out of 100 so
0: yeah yeah let's let's go with that yeah yeah sure okay well I still love this movie again it's not it's not world changing it's not gonna break the box office but just for the cult status and the the nostalgia that we mentioned earlier it it does always make me smile when I watch it and for me it's a very easy 4 for me I just I just love how how, you know visually it's great yes the plot's a bit far-fetched but Jeff Bridges again Fantastic actor. I love everything he's done. The characters, especially uh, Tron, for example, really fun to follow and, and follow their own in-computer journey, in-game journey. Yeah, it's a strong four for me. It's not going to ever reach top-end kind of score because it's not not the greatest movie in the world, but I, I just love it for the for the sheer fan base that it gives me and the excitement. So, yeah, it's a strong four. Four megabytes, not quite a gigabyte, but it's a four megabytes from me.
1: I ask one last question about it, about the movie. Yeah. And I should say, spoiler alert. So, at the very end, as Ram lay dying on on the ground, were Flynn and Ram ready to kiss just as Ram was about to die?
0: No. No, it's just one of those emotional scenes where two men are in a shot and one's about to leave. Just, you know, there's no, no kisses. No, no, it's just... I'll be here okay. to comfort you as you pass away, you know, into the digital world, you know.
1: Because I was, I didn't know if it was something that was suggested or implied and I was getting ready to applaud, but uh, okay. I, I was just, I was just curious. I was just curious. I was like, I didn't know if they were trying to push the boundaries or something. I mean, it was the early eighties after all. So maybe not because, you know, think, things pretty much still had stigma back then, but still very affectionate,
0: I which is cool. Considering he'd only spent about 25 minutes in the computer, he'd made quite a bonding with these characters already to be. Consoling them on their last moments of their uh, life and so on. Yeah, it was an interesting scene. I think with just again to touch on the on the lightsaber battle as well, I got kind of vibes from Star Wars. The whole like with the X wings were all checking, you know, red five standing by and so on, and they're um they're all communicating. You know, let's let's get these guys into the into the tunnel and let's team up and knock them out and stuff. Very kind of Star Wars esque. You can see where certain reference points were taken, so I think it may have had an influence on. How they get got that scene to be made? So there's definitely a, a Star Wars vibe there, but um, yeah, it's it's a it's an enjoyable movie. I am glad. That, I mean, I've heard about
1: it since I was probably oh I don't know seven or eight years old, and I'd never seen it. So I'm glad you awesome. mentioned it.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, I think it's time for some facts before we wind down the episodes with the socials. So, let's kick off with yourself, sir. What, what facts have you got about this movie that you'd like to share with everyone? The first one that I found out,
1: the movie was originally going to be a cartoon. Oh? It was originally going to be a cartoon. They were working on Tron, which is taken from the word electronic, by the way. And they planned to use their experience in animation to make it a feature-length, a feature-length animated film. And they were going to have two live-action sequences sort of serving as the beginning and the ending. And then the film was turned down by MGM and Columbia. So then they pitched it to Disney and Disney invested in a test route, a test reel. And the rest, as they say, is history. They got the green light for the feature and it ended up being it, end, it ended up being combined animation with live action performance.
0: I know years later, there was an animated um, series that kind of bridged the gap between the two movies but I've not actually seen it as much of a Tron fan as I am I've not seen the animated um spin-off Tron Uprising so something I can go back and discover at some point earlier I mentioned about Epcot being something I could mention about in the facts and that's because oh right right the Disney Channel itself okay best known for things like teen sitcoms and shows like Hannah Montana and high school musical and so on when it launched in 1983 it had a movie shown on its first day which was Tron That was their launch movie at the time. The idea for the channel was originally conceived in 1977. So not only did the world get Star Wars and me in 1977, they also got the idea of a Disney channel, which was interesting. But it was turned down when Disney executives said instead they wanted to focus more on Epcot, which launched in 1982. So they wanted to focus more on that giant golf ball-based theme park instead of a dedicated channel towards Disney interesting Four? Hmm. Oh, i
1: was just doing the golf
0: call Four? oh sorry <laughs>
1: <laughs> straight over my head that went sorry <laughs> Four. sorry it's okay I, I could have been a little bit clearer
0: <laughs> <laughs> have you got anything else for us frank <laughs>
1: i do pac-man has a cameo
0: yes he does i'm so glad you mentioned it. pac man
1: has a cameo yep you you can even you can even hear the Pac-Man sound effect of the waka waka wanka waka yes. You can still hear that in the you can hear that in the background.
0: And I love that it's just after that light cycle sequence when they escape, and Sark tests to one of his random henchmen, "Get them!" and he hits them on that screen. You can see quite clearly Pac-Man and some of the power pellets. An early cameo from another franchise into another one. You know this is like Ready Player One before Ready Player One even came. What a legendary character to have as a cameo. It's so cool. (laughs) Pac-Man is one that... I think the reason why I loved Pac-Man so much when I was a
1: kid was because it was the one game that, for me, would have made having an Atari worth it.
0: Mm.
1: You know what I mean? I'd played Donkey Kong and a couple of the others, but for me, Pac-Man was the one that I, I just loved. So I used to bowl. I was in a bowling league, so I would bowl every week. And I'm talking elementary school. So they had the video games, like I said. They had the... Stand the standalone video game set up in a little area with the vending machines, and and uh, so I would I would play Pac-Man while waiting for my ride to come pick me up, and it was always it was always the treat. It's like oh, you know, three more days, and I go to I, and I go bowling again, and I can play Pac-Man again. So Pac-Man was always my uh, my on my wish
0: list. Never got it, but at least I had access to it. So is this some kind of belated appeal then? Help Frank relive his childhood, everyone give I mean Atari. Kara, <laughs> Frank Mendoza, Massachusetts, USA. <laughs> do you have any other fun facts? I do, I do. Um, okay, this one is, is a rumoured fact. I've not actually found out if this is genuine enough, but the character of Laura slash Yuri, played by Cindy Morgan in the character, so she's the female character in, in this Tron movie, was potentially, potentially because I've not actually had this confirmed going to be portrayed by a certain blondie singer, Debbie Harry. Apparently she was considered to play Laurie slash, uh, sorry, Laura slash Yori as, um, as the female character in Tron. It may have worked in this whole multiverse, you know, world we have now, it, it could still be a thing, but apparently Debbie Harry was considered. Obviously she's acted in movies, but, um, I don't know. Could it have worked? I guess we'll never know because we haven't seen it on screen, but, um, yeah.
1: Had she worked in movies already at that point? I'm not sure up to that. Or would
0: this have been would it have been her debut? Quite possibly. I'd have to look that up. I'm not sure. Yeah. Huh. Really? Mm. So say if the well, end, I don't think it's done. the world That's is too working. far-fetched. It could happen. Yeah. You know, it could happen.
1: I have one last one. Some Disney animators refused to work on the film. Reason why was because they felt that because so many of the visual effects were going to be generated by computer. They feared that their profession, their livelihood of animation was going to go the way of the dodo. They oh, were okay. afraid that the computers were going to make their skills, you know, their what they do for a living, that they would be rendered obsolete. So they refused to work on the film. And instead the director was able to was able to uh, to get Sid Mead and a French artist, Jean Gerard Gerard, okay. G-I-R-A-U-D to design the costumes and the storyboards mm. that otherwise would have been done by the Disney animators.
0: And look at the AI now. It's taken over everything. Who knows? The next Disney movie will be 100% computer-made and all the humans would just be sitting there going, oh, well, looks like I'm on the uh, employment <laughs> line again. Yeah, I mean, who, who knows if this is even really us talking, you know? Maybe our computers mm. do some regional dialects of various people. We are real, folks. <laughs> we are. We are definitely real people, trust me. You couldn't make Or are one. we? Ugh. We are, (laughs) trust (laughs) me. We're Uh, real, we're real. (laughs) Sorry to disappoint, but we're real. (laughs) Um, I have just one more, which is in regards to the composer, Wendy Carlos. So she she did the iconic uh, score for this movie and did such a great job that she was asked to do the score for A Certain Shining and the Clockwork Orange as well, based on her keyboard skills and the the sound that she produced. That is cool. Two, Two iconic movies with arguably iconic soundtracks span off from this computer world and the composer that they used. So, yeah, it's a, it's that sound that she brought. Very electronic, very keyboard-based, but perfect for this particular movie. It's all digital, so you expect a digital sound. So it worked really well. I loved it. And again, very 80s. Well, it has which to be. I w- and I will repeat, that is not a bad thing. No, not at all. It's, it's my era for growing up, so I, I love it. I've always been an 80s kid at heart, so yeah. Love it, love it, love it. All that remains now is to do the socials. So yeah, we've got the social now, so it's a chance for everyone to get in touch and find out how they can get in touch with us and contact us and, and follow the show and so on. We try this every episode to get it right, and one day we will, but we're going to try again, folks. There's many ways to get in touch with us on the show, starting with, of course, should we start with Twitter? Let's start with Twitter, Frank. How can people reach us on Twitter? On Twitter,
1: you can find us at AcrossPod2022.
0: There is no the in Twitter. That's right. That's right. On Facebook, it's across the Pod 2022 Yes, is it. And is it the same on Instagram? I always forget these two. I think it is AcrossThePod2022 on Instagram as well. Yeah. Instagram
1: is across the Pod 2022
0: You know, one of these days I'll memorize these. I'll need to get a script or something. So three ways to reach out, um you can also eat four ways. Three social oh, media, three social medias. I was just about to say, um, of course, we've got an email address as well. So, if you want to send us a message or a comment, you can email us at across the pod 2022 at gmail.com. Yes, thank you. I got it right. I got it right. Yes, um <laughs> by all means, reach out. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know if you want to be on the show. Maybe give us some suggestions for a potential movie we can discuss. It's always nice to hear from you, so please do reach out, let us know what you think, and do get in touch.
1: That's right, we always love to hear from people, so please get in touch, because from two movie fans to however many others, movies are where it's at.
0: Do get in touch, let us know what you think, because I really want to know what your opinions are of Tron. We will be coming back and discussing one of my favourite movies of all time, and it is... The Tron sequel, Tron Legacy from 2010. I love this movie. I'm looking forward to going into, you know, a lot of fun conversations about it, which I'm hoping, Frank, you will be part of because, again, you haven't seen it. So I'm going to be looking forward to what your opinion is of it. But yeah, Tron Legacy, a film I have to wait a long time for, for it to come out. But I love it. I love it so much. I can't wait to talk about it. Very excited right now. So yeah, tune in next time for Tron Legacy. Any closing remarks, Frank? I'm looking
1: forward to seeing it. It too is streaming on Disney+. Plus. So until then, Tron on. It's
0: time for us to part with our still very questionable tagline. We're going to give this a go, aren't we? We're going to try this with people. I've been Dave. <laughs> I've been Frank. And we'll see you... Across the Across the, pod. the pod. Oh, so close, so close. We're getting closer. Should, should, should we try it one more time? Try it one more time. Across, across the, pod. the pod. Ooh. You see, we're, we're trying, folks. We're trying to get it as right as possible. But yeah. but yeah, thank you very much for listening. We look forward to chatting to you again soon. And have a great day going forward. Take care of yourselves. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take it easy. Until next time. See you later, programs.